have a couple of scripture readings this morning, both of them in the New Testament. The first is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. And the second will be Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 40. Hear the word of the Lord as he speaks from his word this morning. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother and Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, and of incense, and of myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And then we'll turn to Luke chapter 2, where we'll be reading verses 15 through 40. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. 
as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for, again, Lord, this time. Thank you for the uh, scripture that we've got, the the stories of the birth of Christ as a child, as a baby, uh, and all that surrounded that. Lord, uh, just be with us this morning. Uh, Allow my words to be your words, Lord. Use me to Get your message out, and Lord, may that message shape and form hearts as you will and desire. And all this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian Brooks. I am one of the elders here at Kishwaukee. So here we are, January 2nd, right? Many of us are just so glad the holiday season is over, right? All the hustle and bustle and parking problems and crowds and traffic is just crazy. Some of us are just like, whew, we are so glad this is over. We're glad the Christmas season is done. Well, what if I told you that in the life of the church, we're only nine days into the Christmas season, right? In the church, the initial church, and when we first, the church first started celebrating Christmas, Christmas was really, started Christmas Day and went for 12 days, the 12 days of Christmas, up until um, Epiphany. So that, we are in the season called Christmas Tide. if you look at the front of your bulletin. It has nothing to do with the rise and swell of the ocean. It has to do with this 12 days of Christmas, and Christmas in the, in the early church, when they first started celebrating it, was really started on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and went for the next 12 days after that. And each of those days was a festival or a feast in, in celebration of one of the saints. In fact, if you know the, the song, Good, Good King Wenceslas, Good King Wenceslas once looked out on, on the Feast of Stephen, that's the day after, that's the 26th of December, was the Feast of Stephen. But there were each of these feasts, but what's happened in modern times is we sort of front-loaded Christmas, 
right? All the celebration of Christmas happens up in, in advance of Christmas. All the carols and songs and parties and everything that we do seems to all, uh, especially in society, seems to celebrate Christmas up to that day. That's the season of Advent, right? That's the season of expectation, of waiting, uh, of coming. That's what Advent means, coming. So that whole, uh, so we've kind of lost this uh, celebration of Christmas. Um, We almost get to Christmas and like, whew, done and over. But really, Christmas is meant to be celebrated for a period of time after that. And that's the season that we're in right now at the church. As I mentioned, the season of Advent, it means coming. It's the the anticipation. It's a season of hope, of promise, um, of expectation, of preparation for the Christ child to be born. Season of Advent. But now we're into a season of joy, right? A season of promises fulfilled, of the gift received, of the path of redemption being laid out for us. So the Christ child is born, but many of us are not sure what to do with that. What do we do now that the Christ child is here? For those of you who are parents, it's kind of like the first when the, you had your first child, there was all the planning and all the expectation of during the pregnancy and up until the birth and every, all the planning, getting everything ready and all the emergency and having your bag and ready to go, all that. And then you get the baby, the baby's born, and you bring the baby home. Now what do we do? Right? It's everything is new. The whole world has changed. Everything is turned upside down. Nothing is the same anymore. And that's how it is when we experience the Christ child. Nothing is the same anymore. Everything has changed. So how do we respond to that Christ child? Well, the Bible gives us a few examples of how people responded to the Christ child. And that's what much of the scripture lesson that we had this morning talks about. Let's start with the shepherds in Luke 2. Um, we know that the angels came to them and told them about the Christ child being born. So what did they do in response? when they'd, And they'd gone into the town and they looked for him and they found him. They responded to what the angels told them to do. They went into town and searched for the, for the Christ child. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. To all, any and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They spread the word. You are to spread the word about the Christ and the child. And the people who hear it will be amazed. We should anticipate that they will be amazed at what they hear. And then, not only that, this, the, the, Christ, the, the shepherds went out, and when they, had done, had, when they had visited the Christ child and seen everything, they went out glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. We should be glorifying and praising God for the Christ that has been born to us. And it's just as they've been told to do. They didn't, they didn't hesitate. They didn't say, oh, we've got the sheep in the, in the fields we have to take care of. We can't leave them alone. They responded. They went and, and found, found the Christ child. They searched for him and found him. They responded by telling everybody else about it, everyone they could see, anybody who was awake at that time of night. They probably woke some people up to tell them about the Christ child. That's the enthusiasm we should have upon experiencing Christ. Okay, next. The wise men, right? The wise men, magi. They come from a different country, from the east. Somehow these men know that this is, Jesus is special, that Jesus is the king of the Jews, as they call him. And they see the star, and they follow this star, and they find the Christ child. After they stop and see King Herod, they find the Christ child. 
And when they'd seen the star as it stopped over the house, they were overjoyed. Right? They were that's beyond joy. They were joyous. They, they, that's overjoyed in, in how it's used there. It just means it was bubbling up out of them. They could not help but be overjoyed and changed. And they, so they were overjoyed at the crest child, and going into the house, they saw that the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They knew and acknowledged that Jesus was worthy of their worship. They were overjoyed at finding him and worshipped him. Right? And then they opened their treasures and they presented their, their gifts to him. He was worthy of being worshipped and praised by them. Now what's interesting about the, um, and, and this, is, this is epiphany, right, in the church. The wise men appearing um, and, and, and finding Jesus. And what epiphany means is revelation, right? Jesus was revealed. And it's the first manifestation of Jesus to the Gentiles, right? These wise men were not Jews. They were from another country. They are Gentiles. And this is the first hint in, 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 well, not really the first hint, but it's the first in telling that Christ is meant for more than just the Jews. Christ is meant for all, right? These are the Magi. These are Gentiles. And they came and worship him. Much before anybody else did, the wise men were there. So when Jesus was born, he was a pure Jewish lineage and certainly came to redeem his own, but he also came with a desire to reconcile the entire world to God. So that's the wise men. Um, that's, I mean, we're now, we, yeah, yeah, now we're at Simeon. Sorry, I'm found, missing my place. So now we're at Simeon, right? So Simeon is a, a, a man who, it doesn't tell us that he was a religious leader. It just says he was a devout man who was, who was sought after the redemption of Israel that he was looking for and pray, probably praying very hard for every day for God to reveal the Messiah. And God finally tells him through his Holy Spirit that you will, you aren't going to die until you do see the Messiah. Can you imagine what that was like for him? Every day getting up wondering if today was the day you would see the Messiah, that you would see the Christ. But he knew that, and so he was, he was pursuing it every day, looking for the Christ child. And when he found him, the Spirit, one day he gets up and the Spirit tells him, get to the temple. Get to the temple. And as they're entering the temple courts, they're not inside the temple, they're in the temple courts. He sees the baby Jesus, sees the child, and he goes up to him, takes the baby from Mary or Joseph, whoever's carrying him at that time, takes him in his arms and prays God. Saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He takes Jesus in his arms and recognizes the fact that Jesus is the Savior of the world, the redemption of all mankind. He holds in his arms God's promise fulfilled. Unlike the other religious leaders of the day, Simeon was on the lookout for the Messiah. We need to be on the lookout for Christ. We need to be on the lookout for Christ and embrace him in our arms when we find him. Praise God that we did. Then lastly, at the same time, there's Anna. Anna's a widow. She's, probab- she's 84 years old. She's probably been w- widowed um, a, a good um, 60 years. 
because she was probably a, ver- a teenager when she married her husband. Her husband died after seven years of marriage. Pat had put her in her early 20s when her husband died. She then dedicates her life to the church, to the temple, to praying, fasting, um, night and day. This is, her, this is her life. And she sees, she says, coming up to them, so it's, it's Simeon and the family, and she, she probably hears Simeon because he just prophesied about, as was Pat read in the scripture, he just prophesied about this being the consolation of Israel, that this, this is the Christ child, the Messiah. And she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Again, she recognizes the Christ, understands who he is, knows that he's the redemption of all, and she gives thanks to God for him. And then, again, spreads the word. So the responses, praise, thanksgiving, joy, worship, sharing what we have experienced and seen when we encounter the Christ child. That's what we're called to do. That's what our response should be upon encountering Christ, upon upon encountering Jesus. Praise, joy, worship, thanksgiving, spreading the good news. And just like the star drew the magi to Jesus, we should be asking God to help us guide other people to draw near to Jesus and to worship him and to recognize who he is. But not everybody had the same kind of experience when they encountered Jesus. We've got Herod. He was the appointed king by the Roman Roman rulers. He was not a Jew in the line of Jacob, but he was an Edomite in the line of Esau. He was not the true king. He wasn't in the line of David. And to keep his position, he had to continually curry favor with the Roman rulers and eliminate threats. Uh, He was known to have uh, killed a couple of his spouses and some of his children as well to keep his position. Um, He knew he wasn't a king in the line of David, a a true king of Israel. And so he felt threatened when he heard about from the Magi that they'd come to find the king of the Jews. So when he found out, that he asked, um, where's the one, when they asked, when there was, where's the one pointed to the Jews? He said, they saw their star, and Herod heard this. He was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. In fact, and so, he, so then he asks, after that, he asked the wise men of, the, of, of Jerusalem to come and tell him, where would the, the Christ child be born? Where would the Messiah be born? And they told him, well, it's pretty clear from the, the prophecies that it's going to be in Bethlehem. So what does he do? He connives, he schemes, he tries to get the wise men to tell him where the, the Christ child is, but the wise men are, are warned by God not to do that. They go on their way home. When Herod realizes it, and he's been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Jerusalem and its vicinity who were two years old and older in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. He tries to put out, to extinguish the, the Christ child's life, to eliminate this threat to him, to, um, to get the Christ child out of his life completely. And that's, that's again, how, that's how some people respond when they, when they encounter the Christ child. But God's plans cannot be thwarted. 
God's word, when it goes out, will come back to him in fulfillment. Um, God makes sure that, that his will and his plans and, and how he, everything he'd set up for this would further on. And you could see in, in the readings today, you saw how that happened. How God warns Joseph, he warns the Magi, and will not allow his plans to be thwarted. So we have these birth stories, right, and a little bit after. So these be primarily come from Matthew and Luke. Matthew gets, you know, his, his gospel starts with the lineage of Jesus and then goes into, it talks about Joseph and his dream and focuses more on Joseph and then the Magi. Luke's is the fuller picture of the birth story. He starts, um, talks about the, the visiting of Mary um, and um, the birth of the child and the, the shepherds, and we get all of that, and that whole thing about going to the temple is all in Luke, so he provides a pretty good full story. Mark doesn't tell us anything about a birth story. He basically starts talking about um, John the Baptist leading the, the way for Jesus and then gets into Jesus being baptized in his ministry. But I argue that, uh, and some people say that John doesn't have a birth story either, I would, but I would argue that John does have a birth story. And in fact, when we, oftentimes when we read um, at my family gathering, we traditionally read the Luke uh, story of the Bible, I oftentimes will want to read this introduction to John. Now, I wanna go, I'm going to go through this now. We're going to go through John. And, and John, is, this, is, this introduction to John's, uh, the book of John, his gospel message, it's full of a lot of theology. I'm going to be taking a real um, high overpass of this and, and touching on things. We're not going to delve into it real deeply, but enough that you could see what's going on. Because if you just read Matthew and Luke, it appears that Jesus just, Jesus appears on the scene at his birth. John wants you to, to understand there's a lot more going on than just that. John's view comes way back and much broader view of Christ and, and Jesus and where Jesus starts. So let's walk through the, this introduction to John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All right, let's go back and talk about that. In the beginning, does that sound like anything to you? Does that remind you of anything, right? John is purposely alluding to Genesis and creation, and he's letting you know right away that we know about creation in the beginning of the Bible when God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus is part of creation. This goes back to that, right? And, and he uses the word, and, and he, later on it becomes very clear that when he's talking about the word, he means Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus was there in the beginning, and the Word was with God. Jesus was with God. And um, the distinction, he makes the distinction between God the Father and Jesus the Son, but still emphasizing the, the intimate relationship that they have between themselves, Father and Son. So the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word shares the same character, quality, essence of God. It preserves the distinction between God the Father and God the Son while emphasizing their unity in all other regards. Jesus was with God. Jesus was God. And was with God in the beginning, not coming along at some other point. From eternity forward, Jesus is with God. Part of God is God. 
He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Nothing was created that was made that, nothing without him was made that has been made. Jesus was part of the creation process. He was there. Everything went through him for creation. In him was life. The word is the source of life, both physical through creation and spiritual. As Jesus, as Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the life that he provides, and the life was the light of all mankind. So again, there's this allusion to the initial act of creation, right? Light, light in, and, and invokes the association of light with God's glory. Light is often used throughout the Old Testament as a metaphor for salvation and spiritual awakening. So in him was life, and this light was the salvation of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Again, John draws on Genesis when he talks about the division of light and darkness, um, as well as Old Testament passages regarding the birth of the Messiah as light dawning over a world of physical and spiritual darkness. Like, as an example in Isaiah 9-2, where he says, The people are walking in darkness, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That word, overcome, is a Greek word, it's, it's katalabano, and it has two meanings. One means to overcome, and that's most, a lot of the translations will use that, overcome. But it also means um, to not understand, to not grasp, to not get a hold of, right? And it fits. Both, both meanings fit here. The world couldn't overcome it, couldn't overcome the light, and, a lot of, and the world doesn't understand the light. Much of the world doesn't comprehend the light. They can't get their minds around it. They can't grasp it. Um, the world, sometimes John uses it to, ref- the, that word the world, uses it to refer broadly to the whole creation, but most of the time it refers specifically to humanity in rebellion against God and hostile to Christ. They're unable to recognize him. Okay, on to this next section. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world was made, and, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Again, that world, the whole thing about world there is probably meaning the world in rebellion to, to uh, God and hostile to Christ. His own people didn't receive him. Not only did most of the entire world not recognize the creator, but God's own people, Jesus as creator, but God's own people, the the Israeli nation as a whole, did not recognize him, and they rejected the Messiah. They didn't recognize him, and they rejected him. He came to his own, and they did not receive him. Go on next. Yet, all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This, when you think of this, when you hear that, does it not make you think of when Jesus said to Nicodemus, very, very, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. 
It is this, once through him, in a belief in Jesus Christ, you are able to be called children of God. You are born again, born in spirit to him. And again, I know we're moving quickly through this stuff, but there's a, and there's a lot here, but it's important to understand this. So it's not, you're not born of natural descent or of human decision, but a born of God through the Spirit. Next. You want the birth story? Here it is. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. God incarnate. Emmanuel, God with, God with us, and made his dwelling among us. This word here this is, uh, meant, is also means take up residence and literally can mean to dwell in a tent and likely alludes to the old temple tabernacle as God's dwelling place among his people. So through his, gun, God, through his son, God is taking up residence among his people just as he had done in ancient Israel. But not only that, God takes on human form, becomes, takes on flesh, makes his dwelling among us. God walks among us. Since the first time, since the Garden of Eden, God walks among his creation, among his people, among us. God is born into this world as a baby. There's John's birth story. And the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, It's the glory of Jesus. The Word is the same as the glory of God the Father. Next. The Word uh, of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth, two central attributes of the divine character, steadfast love and faithfulness. Jesus embodies the ultimate expression of God's covenant loyalty and unmerited favor toward the world that rejected him. As he said in John 18, 37, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Full of grace and truth. Um, Next. And out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Grace in place of grace already given. I like the ESV way they say this. It's grace upon grace. And what it means is wave upon wave of grace. Unmerited, never-ending. Grace continues to be bestowed upon us Day in, day out, more grace, more grace comes upon us. Never ending. Grace replaces grace, replaces grace, replaces grace. And the law was given through Moses. Um, It contrasts Jesus with Moses, emphasizing the superiority of the gospel of Christ to the law of Moses. The grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. He has made him known to us. To know Jesus is to know God. As Jesus said in John 14, 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God in his closest relationship with the Father has made him known. We see Jesus, we see God. Jesus is God. And he represents 
God and all in these characteristics for us. So John, and in John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word is God and has revealed himself and explained God to humanity. Jesus explains God to us and interprets him for us. We simply can't understand God apart from knowing Jesus as the Son. If you want to know God, you know Jesus. So John's gospel, we're, I think we're good here. John's gospel, we talked about that, is alluding to the beginning of in the beginning, and he makes, he, he, he makes this comparison contrast with Genesis. Right? The first act in creation in Genesis, God spoke and light was immediately separated from darkness. But then Adam and Eve chose to sin. And God's presence, his light, was separated from man. Man was now in darkness. Then the need for light to shine through the darkness was no longer just day and night, but life and death. God desires relationship with us, so he sent a light. He sent Jesus to guide us out of that darkness and back to him. This is all done through the, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, right? That's the gospel story. It is proclaimed throughout the Bible. And it, it, it's what John then talks about throughout the rest of his book. Christ's life, Christ's death, his resurrection. The light came into the world and some simply don't comprehend it. They don't know it. They don't understand it. They can't get a hold of it. The light was not comprehended and continues to not be comprehended. The light came into the world and the light was not overcome, is not overcome, and shall not be overcome. But some try to overcome it. They try to directly oppose it. They try to extinguish it or limit where it shines. They limit what it reveals. And that's what's appeared to have happened with Jesus' death on the cross. It looked like the light had been extinguished. But that's not really what happened. Do you know the meaning of the word Christmas? It's Christ Mass, the Mass of Christ. Mass is a celebration of the Eucharist, what we call the Lord's Supper. So Jesus' death, the birth of Christ, is meant to be celebrated by celebrating and recognizing and remembering his death as well. That's why one of the reasons we do um, communion on Christmas Eve. So we celebrate Christ's birth by remembering his death. You can't not, not remember Christmas when you think about Christ's death, right? This all works together. The, the Christmas, we commemorate uh, Christ's death through the celebration of his birth. The Christmas story is a wonderful in, in how it reflects how much of God's character is shown to us in how he chose his one and only son to come into the world. But again, you can't think about his birth without thinking about his death. You can't think about his death without thinking about his birth. You can't think about his death and birth without thinking about the, his resurrection, right? 
They all work together. That's the gospel story. His life, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. His life, the manger, right? His death, the cross. His resurrection, the empty tomb. His conquering of death. They all three work together. So we celebrate his birth in Christmas. We commemorate his death, Good Friday, and the Lord's, every time we do the Lord's Supper. And we celebrate his victory over death in Easter. There's three, acts, three aspects to the gospel. Just like God is in three persons. Gospel is three stories, three parts of one story. Can't think about one without thinking about the other two. It all goes together. And what does this lead us to? This belief in the gospel story, this belief in Jesus Christ, who is God's only son, that he is our salvation. He's the one that reconciles us to God. He's the one that brings us back. What does it provide us? And especially, this, I want to talk about this in, in, in relation to where we are as a church and a community as we enter into this new season uh, with Pastor Tom as our interim pastor. It provides us with hope. We have a hope. We have a living hope. As... Um, Peter tells us um, in uh, 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. A living hope means that our hope is sure, it is certain, it is real. It's not some wishful thinking. It's not... um, it's not deceptive or empty or false hope that the world offers. It's real. It's what we have faith in. We believe it. Paul says in Romans 5, 1 through 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, but God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have a hope that is alive, that is living, and that uh, brings us to God in in knowing in the, the glory of God and knowing that one day, we will share in that glory and be a part of that. And I like how Paul wraps this all up in Titus 2, 11, 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly possessions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's where we are as a church, as a people, followers of God. We have a hope that is assured. We have a hope that is real and living. And we know that God fills us with his spirit and wants us to go out and be zealous about doing good works. That's why the next season of this church doesn't phase, it doesn't worry me, I'm concerned. We have that hope. 
God will continue to use this church and use us as individuals to further his kingdom, to bring glory to his name. I know that, and I'm assured of it, and that's my hope. So I want you to share in that hope as we venture into this next season of this church and as we continue to look for uh, a full-time permanent pastor. We have hope. No matter how long that takes, we have hope. Amen.